Alma 1. Gives us this little sociology lesson about what's going on with the Nephites right at this moment. And from that I want to glean out some principles. Okay? So we know, they said, um, when the priests left their labor to impart the word of God, the people also left their labors to hear. The priests imparted them the word of God, and they all returned diligently to their labors. Uh, I always think it is fascinating what we do in the church is that uh, I can I can teach a class in Sunday school, for instance, and I'm the teacher, and you're the listener. But an hour before in sacrament meeting, you could be giving a talk in church, and you're the you're the teacher, and I'm the listener, and and we kind of then teach one another the doctrines of the kingdom. Um, and they were doing something very similar. And thus they were all equal, 26 says. And they did all labor according to his, every man according to his strength. We'll talk about that in a second. And they did impart their substance, every man, according to that which he had, to the poor and the needy and the sick and the afflicted. They did not uh, wear costly apparel, yet they were neat and comely. Okay. But they did have an abundance of silk and fine twine linen, all manner of good homely cloth. 30. And thus they were in prosperous circumstances. Okay? Uh, they didn't set their hearts on riches. 31. And thus they did prosper and <coughs> became far more wealthy than those who did not belong to their church. Fascinating. <clears throat> yeah. One thing I really like in Verse 30 is that he says they were liberal to all, both old and young, bonded, free, both male and female, whether out of the church, church or in the church. Yeah, yeah. Whether part of our church or a refugee. Exactly. That's yeah, you kind of get that sense of reaching out. Okay, now, and those that didn't belong to the church, by the way, uh, indulged in sorceries, idolatry, idolists, babblings, and being strong. Okay, now. So I put this together as I was thinking about this. That if we were going to, uh, I noticed that uh, I went online, I'm looking around, and I noticed a lot of other churches are doing a lot of wealth seminars. You know, do it Christ's way, we're going to have a wealth seminar kind of thing. And so I figured, okay, let's, let's do a Nephite wealth seminar. We'll do it according to Nephite principles. Okay? Here are just a few ideas that I came up with. <coughs> you, can, you can have riches only if you don't want them. That seems to be one of those. If you want them, you won't have them. If you don't want them, you will have them. Okay? You can have riches only if you're planning on feeding the poor, the needy, and the afflicted. Okay? If you are righteous, you will have more riches than the wicked. Giving me some strange looks, that's what it said. If you have riches, you can have riches only if you wear comely clothes, not costly apparel. <laughs> the plainer the clothes, the richer you are. Okay. Basically. Okay. Thus, 
my wealth is actually a sign of my righteousness. Righteousness, though I did really didn't want it. Okay, what do you think? How does that work? Is that is that what we're is that what we're hearing? Which part resonates? Which part doesn't? I think it goes back to what does the word prosper mean in the scriptures? Yes. Right. Because they've made enough money to do that. Yeah. So I've got to be so in order for me to be able to go on a mission, I have to have enough abundance in what I'm doing to be able to not work for a couple of years while I go serve a mission. And if I'm a mission president, for instance, maybe three years and I'm going to pay for myself, potentially. Or you have somebody else do it for you. Somebody else, so I don't have very much, but somebody else who is more prosperous may pay for me. Okay, so that would mean that somebody would have to have some means here, some wealth, right? In other words, if does this work if we all have just sufficient for our needs? Yeah, Ron? What's that? I said, if we have sufficient for our needs, we all know. That's true. But if I've got sufficient to just take care of myself, by the way, what do I do with the poor? i got enough for my needs. What about everybody else? Our needs include taking care of the poor. My needs include the needs of other people through me. But I need to do that. That was an interesting thought. I just don't think you can put righteousness with wealth necessarily. We never do that in that church, in this church, right? <laughs> I mean, wasn't this part of what happened with the Book of Mormon constantly? Is that they were always saying, how do I know that I am righteous? Well, we've been blessed with wealth. And we look at that and go, well, that's just wrong. But don't we do that sometimes as we look around sacrament meeting? That's Who's the, being blessed? That's the basis of capitalism, that my wealth is actually a sign of my righteousness because that's the Protestant ethic. It is the Protestant ethic that, that if I work hard, I will make a lot of money. And one of the ways that I know who is the hard worker and the wealthy people or the righteous people, the good people are the ones that have more wealth. And those who don't have it must not be righteous. That's right. I see squirming. <laughs> the point is you need to be wealthy and still be righteous. But you're not using your wealth as a symbol, but you're using it. So you can have the wealth, just don't be uh, audacious with it. You're righteous in spite of your wealth. You're righteous in spite of your wealth. Ah. Or, or like uh, I've mentioned before. You're not using it the same way. Right. I remember, uh, and I've mentioned this before. I remember when we were at BYU and. And we, and, and we had a group that was kind of doing a multi-level marketing thing, and they invited us over to their house. And, and they were going to make lots and lots of money because they had, they had two, th- two goals in mind. One, they wanted to send their parents on missions, and they wanted to visit every temple in the world. And so because of that, they should get wealthy because they were going to be doing those things, and therefore it was okay. And then when I talked to one of the upper people in the, in the levels there, he says, the Lord loves us. Look how much tithing we pay. Well, that's nice. Okay. So, well, now, now but, but as we talked before, so isn't there a reverse? So isn't there kind of a reverse pride? 
I'm not wealthy, therefore I'm more righteous. The, 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 rich, the rich are prosperous and prideful. And so because I'm driving a beat up car to church, stuff like that, I am probably a little more humble and a little more righteous. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. It has been our experience as we lay around people with wealth that the money just makes you more of who you already are. Yes. That the money makes you more of what you are? Interesting. If you're prideful, you're going to be more prideful. If you're more, if you're giving, you'll be more giving. That's an interesting thought. Maybe the giving us wealth is also, also the test to see if we can handle this. Yeah. That, that wealth can be a test to us. And well, so can, a lot of people say, then, then please test me. Yeah, prosperity was always the kiss of death for the, for the Nephites. Yeah. So our wealth becomes our stewardship and how we're going to handle that. Right. But there would, but wouldn't there then be an element of say then, then if I am handling things well and I am righteous and I can handle more stewardship of wealth, then really my wealth still is becoming a sign of my righteousness. There are those who are wealthy that are giving, but they want the acclamation of the world, the attention of the world and when they give they make it big and public and right so it's it's sometimes that's okay. in your heart that counts so tell me this isn't the battle we fight on a regular basis what do we do with our with our wealth I, I know that um, uh, I remember being in a ward and we had uh, a couple of uh, people in our ward whose business suddenly took off on them and they were doing very well and uh, they could afford uh, very nice automobiles, um, but then they would deliberately have to choose to drive other cars. They had more a humble car that they drove to church because of some of the comments that they were getting when they when they pulled into the parking lot in a brand new vet. Can I just say that when we lived in Southern California, we were in a very wealthy state, and our son Aaron Richards served his mission there. Right. And so we lived there after. I think that they do really well despite their wealth. They try really hard to be giving and loving to everyone in the ward. Yeah. Uh, even if they live in Nellie Gale, which is the area where you know, all the horse right. properties are and stuff like that. I never felt that. Maybe I didn't live there long enough <laughs> to, you know. To absorb that kind of an attitude, yes. But um, I felt that in Southern California where we lived, and we lived in the Gale State, that the members Okay. Cool. All right. I was going to say, I went to the ward in Chicago that half of the ward was hugely wealthy, lived in mansions, yeah. and the other half of the ward came from Great Lakes, the military base, who were very minimal. Right. Their, well, every year, and we don't know who it was, but every year, all those people in Great Lakes got a $1,000 in their mailbox. Really? Their family. We don't know who it was. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, let me make a suggestion to you. 
Because I need you to, as we're taking a look at this discussion of wealth, because we watch this cycle, the pride cycle, the prosperity cycle, and among the Nephites, and then the book was written for us, right? So we're having to see how we individually do with wealth. Um, like Tevye, you know, we're singing, you know, if I were a rich man, you know, I'd like to at least try uh, and handle this. Um, <coughs> Beautiful article that I found. I wish I could say it was unique to me, but I, um, written by a, a, a BYU professor that threw out some ideas. That, that let me run with it a little bit what I'm what I'm hearing and see if this makes some sense. Especially when we start reading uh, as we get into Alma and the Nephite nation is really cranking up and becoming more diverse and and more structured and more sophisticated. And you're going to see these, especially this fall when we're talking about it and. Alma's having to go on his great reclamation journey through Zarahemla and, and all the places he does, okay? So back in, in 1776, Scottish uh, writer, philosopher by the name of Adam Smith, as he's watching the, the battle between England and, the, and these colonies in America trying to break away, um, wrote, wrote uh, a book called The Wealth of Nations, which is kind of standard reading for any economist. Uh, anybody studying uh, economic principles needs to start with Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. Because part of what Adam Smith was talking about is how nations become wealthy and why other nations don't become wealthy. So he looked at general principles and he said, here are three main principles on which nations become wealthy if they do these well. And it was his goal to say, in writing these, he was pleading actually part with the British crown to say, don't tick off the colonies. <laughs> and don't, so they go away. We need them as part of this prosperity thing because they, they offer some things to us we can't do on our own. Okay? So this was, this was his principles. And I want you to look at it and then think about the Nephites and I want you to think about it in terms of us. Then we'll go back and look at those verses and see if that makes a little bit more sense. Um, his number one uh, principle was specialization. Specialization. Uh, let's say, for instance, that that I live in a I live in a rural community, and to take care of the needs of my family. I have, I'm growing a little bit of corn, I have a little bit of cattle for some meat, and I have some, some chickens for eggs and, and poultry and stuff like that, okay? Now, if I have sufficient for my needs based on that, I'm very self-reliant, aren't I? I can take care of the needs of my family. Now, if I, if I grow just enough corn to take care of my family, what happens if a refugee family or somebody who's poor comes to me and needs corn? Do I have enough to provide to this, this refugee family additional corn? No. Unless I take, take it out of the mouths of my family to give to them. I just have enough for me. And any time that we have every... So what, what, what they had initially, rural-wise, is that everybody just had a... They had a little bit of all one of these things. A little bit of corn, a little bit of meat, maybe a little bit of uh, potatoes or something like that. Just enough to feed our family and get us through the winter. 
and then to the, the spring harvest. Okay. Now, what he's saying is wealthy nations begin to specialize. So for me, what that would mean is instead of having a little bit of corn, a little bit of chicken, I get rid of my chickens, I get rid of everything else, and I just grow corn. I turn everything that I've got, all the land available to me, maybe I've got 100 acres, I turn it all into corn. I got corn, 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 and not only that, the more that I grow corn, what happens to my corn growing ability? I get better at growing corn. I develop special instruments and, and tools so that I get better. I become the corn expert. I am the corn guru. I have corn for everything. Okay. Now that I have all that corn, where am I going to get my meat? Because I, I, I am voluntarily stopping my ability to produce meat so that I can grow corn. Where am I going to get my meat? Yes. Now, that's why uh, pillar number two, first of all, everybody specializes and becomes better at their thing. And then I'm going to have to do free trade. By the way, when I talk to... Um, nothing drives me nuts faster than talking to a couple. And I've had a number of these conversations with spouses. And they'll say, I don't... And, and mom is a stay-at-home mom. And the husband will say, I just don't like how she's spending my money. <laughs> really? Your money? Yes, I make the money. She spends it. Okay, let's talk, because there's a lot you don't get. <laughs> Inside this little family thing, we have a specialization going on. Could she earn as much money as you do? Yeah. Yes. If, she went, if there was schooling, if she's going to spend her time doing it as much as you do. But you made a decision. It's a social contract inside this little marital thing that says you're going to specialize in going out and getting the schooling, getting the training, and making the money. What's she going to specialize in? Nurturing, raising the children, all of those kinds. That's her area of specialty. You can do what you're doing. So that she can do what she does, and she does what she you, she does, so that you're able to do what you do. So what happens if you're going to maintain that attitude, and you guys get a divorce, and you walk in front of a judge? Is the judge going to go, oh, you're right, yeah, that's all your money. <laughs> what does the judge say? Why? Because it's our money, because we have made a decision... To specialize, and if we specialize, you're going to do better at yours, and I have the ability to do better at mine. Or if we're both going to work, then we have to spend. Then then we're going to shift the responsibilities, and we're each going to take half of this, and you're going to do your half of the child care. I'm going to do my half, and that's that's a, you get this microcosm of how this works. Okay, inside a inside a couple. Okay, now. Okay, so back to the wealth of nations. I can specialize with all my cornness if I have somebody who can trade with me. I'm doing, I'm doing corn and Varney, you're doing cattle. So you and I can work a deal that says, I don't do cattle and I'll give you meat. So I'm going to take part of the meat and I'll give you corn. And by the way, your cattleness 
you, you got really good at the cattle thing. You know, you have special tools, you got enclosures, you know what you're doing, and, and you get really good on the cattle thing. So you become specialized in the cattle thing, and we're able to trade. So that means that I have lots and lots of corn. I'm getting meat here. I might get chickens over here. I'm going to get all these kinds of things. I'm able to specialize. Now, how much corn do I have left over? A lot of corn. What happens if I've got a family to, that comes to me and they're poor and they need corn? I got corn. Am I taking corn out of my family's mouth? No. Do I probably still have corn left over by the time I've taken care of my family, I've traded for meat, I've, uh, I've taken care of the poor? Do I still have corn left over? Yes. I have abundance. When I have abundance, I am rich. But guess what? But I'm now rich. What about Barney? Mm -hmm. He's rich too. So we're getting rich at the same time. Is that bartering? Yeah. So now we're bartering. We're trading. And at the, so what's happening is the the rising tide is is raising all the ships. We're all becoming wealthy at the same time because we have to be able to specialize, and I have to be able to trade with other people who have who become specialists at their thing, and they do some things better. I know, for instance, that if I'm going to... A uh, uh, while back, uh, the tile is falling off of our shower. So Mr. Therapist Counselor is going to go in to try and fix the tile on his shower. Oh, it's bad news. Yes. <laughs> All the tile things are skiwampers, and they're not really staying on very well. And it didn't last very long till I actually broke down and say, I'm going to take part of what I'm earning over here in my counseling business. I'm going to hire a guy in our ward that goes in and went, well, you didn't put the plastic thingies in there so that the tiles will stay here and you use the wrong stuff. To, I'll just, okay, I'll do it. Great. He, and, and, in, and in one day, he did what took me all weekend and his, look, his job looks better. Just like the wonderful people that mow my lawn every Friday. They're better at it quicker. They have the right tools. Okay? And we trade and we barter. Everybody's richer as a result of that. Okay? Now, can you think of one more thing that might be needed according to Adam Smith? You're going to specialize, and now you're going to trade. What else has to work for that to happen? Freedom. Freedom, Freedom to do what? Yeah. So what happens is, is that there has to be a freedom of choice and laws that govern what we do. I have to have the freedom to say, if I, want to, if I want to trade with Varney, I can trade with Varney, but if I want to trade with somebody else, I can. I'm not required. Okay? Especially if Varney isn't giving me back very much meat. It's kind of being stingy on that side. Okay? I have the freedom to be able to do it, and I know that the rules are in place that if somebody's trying to rob me of stuff like that, that, that will maintain the rules. Okay? So it has to be done in a... In a in an atmosphere of freedom. Does that make sense? Okay, now, to this, these principles, we just found them in Alma 1. Now let me add one more that the Book of Mormon adds that Adam Smith didn't add, and that is a loving and friendly towards each other. And this is the process of at-one-ing with each other. 
The goal of at one man is to come together with love and caring and becoming one. And, and all of, a lot of times we talk about becoming one and at oneing in terms of our reconciliation to God and our at oneing in spiritual things and our at oneing in revelation. But have you ever thought about the possibility of at oneing in terms of sociological, economical, coming together in industry? Uniting. And we're uniting. Cool. Remember, Zion, a couple of things to distinguish Zion. Number one, they were one in heart. And how do we know that we walk into a Zion society? There are no poor. Why this? The, the whole idea of the United Order was that there would be specialization... And people doing the things that they do well according to their strength. We could say according to their talent. And that means that we're going to trade with one another. But, but we have to love each other, trust each other, care about each other. And it isn't saying that in Zion there are poor but we're providing uh, fast offering funds for them. It says there are no poor. Why? They have become... Well, in wealthened, if that's a word. We've lifted them up to become as prosperous as everybody else. And how are they going to do it? What are, we're going to take the poor, what are we going to do what, what with them? Educate them? Have them specialty? Now they're able to trade? Now they're able to share? They're able, that's, that's what we do. Well, they're always going to be individuals born who have very serious mental or physical sure. disabilities, mm -hmm. who will not be able to fit into that. Absolutely. So into that comes according to their strength, and you're going to say they're going to be those that, uh, because of physical or uh, mental disabilities, they're never able, their strength is never going to be very much. In a Zion society, you're able to put them into a place where they're able to have their needs taken care of. Okay? And they do share... What they can. They have their little gifts and okay. talents. Yeah. Um, they're going to be wealthy because they're going to all be honest and they're all going to play by the rules. Yes. And, 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 and that is the underlying piece to all this, isn't it? It says we have to have this trust and love and caring towards one another so that we know that we're not being cheated. So that we know that if somebody breaks the rules, it will be punished. Right? Now, does this make sense so far? Because the idea is, uh, and what we're going to be talking about over and over here, is the idea of at one we need this is, this is an atonement on a temporal, physical basis. That's why, and Cindy says this always gets me in trouble, this is when I, I always laugh heartily at the idea of self-reliance. That we need to be able to take care of ourselves to our... To a certain extent and be able to be reliant but at the end of the day in a Zion society are they self-reliant? No. We're inter-reliant. We are inter-reliant upon another which is I'm going to do things well you're going to do things well and I'm not ever going to assume that I can do everything for my family all by myself. I can't. 
We are both going to be more wealthy if I recognize what I do and do it well. You recognize what you do and you do it well. And we trade. And I'm going to, I'm going to be reliant on you for some things. You're going to be reliant on me for some things. That's how it works. That's why, brothers and sisters, we have to be able to serve in the church. But we also have to receive service. We have to give, but we have to receive. We have to bless the lives of others. And then there are sometimes we have to say, I need help. Help me. I'm, I'm outside of my ability to do whatever I can do. I need your help. You're the expert. Help me. On this thing, I, I'm the expert. I can help you. We're never self-reliant. We are inter-reliant in a Zion society. Does that make sense? Okay. Economics 101. I have no position. I don't have any questions that I heard when I was working for years with broker services and the church shut down the canneries. Yeah. Well, that was. That when was the church shut down the canneries, that was tough. Well, we still have canneries, but we have 10 that outproduce 120. 10 canneries produce 100, outproduce 120. Wow. Yeah, because, because of these principles right here. Mm. Brother, understand all of Okay, so let's see how this works. <coughs> Back down the one. Plug, plug all this in now. <coughs> and, 26. And thus they were equal. And they did all labor, every man according to his strength. What does that mean? In a Zion society, are some going to have larger farms than others? Yes. They are. Some are going to have larger operations than others. That's why the Declaration of Independence doesn't guarantee everybody a qual uh, happiness. It guarantees the pursuit of happiness. We're going to put the laws in place that enable you to pursue to the level that you can and want to. So thus they were equal in, in the ability to do everything according to what? Their strength. So, what happens here? They do impart of their substance, every man according to that which he had. And to the poor, to the needy, the sick and the afflicted, they're not going to wear costly apparel. Uh, the clothes thing is kind of an interesting thing. Then as now... Uh, it was kind of an outward sign, uh, kind of a showy kind of thing. But uh, that seems to have been one of the biggest indicators in Nephite society that they were sliding in the wrong direction. Now, and thus, 30, and thus in prosperous circumstances, they did not send away the naked, the hungry, they did not set their hearts upon riches, but they had them. They did not send the, the poor away because... They had the ability to provide for them. And part of what they were doing was providing not just a mouth, a mouthful, but the education to help lift them above their circumstances. Okay? Um, and they had no respect to persons to those in, who stood in need. I'm not going to judge you according to your need. You have a need, we provide it. 
That's why I think the, the, the refugee thing is kind of an interesting thing because there is a side of us that wants to say, wait a minute, these people are just coming in and do we trust them? And are they, you know, they're terrorists in their midst or what are they doing? And the church is saying they have a need and whether we agree with whether they should have been brought in or not, they are now in our midst. And we don't look at them and say, well, you should have never been there and we don't agree with the circumstances or whatever. Therefore, we're not going to provide. They're here. Provide. <laughs> you know, without respect. Okay, and that, that's tough. Yeah. And, and felt such an ownership and everything to that temple. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so beautiful. It's, it's one of those things, unfortunately, that we kind of lost in the old days. Because I remember growing up, uh, and and if you, and when you did tithing settlement, I remember sitting there next to my dad as we're doing tithing settlement. And, and we're talking about your tithing, your fast offering, and your contributions to the building fund. And, I, and so my earliest memories are of being up on top of the state center roof... As the as the members are retiling the roof on the stake center, okay, it was our it was our church. We're taking care of it, and we're all involved in that. And to a certain extent, we've kind of distanced ourselves a little bit as the church has taken over some of that. But, all right. So that's it. That's it. So less of their circumstances, they're doing all of this. Now we come to the no. So here's the crux of it. And thus. They did prosper and become far more wealthy than those who did not belong to the church. Why? <laughs> because they didn't do what we were just talking about. They didn't provide, share. Right. Do all those things. Okay. What was the problem with those outside the church? They did it for themselves. Okay. Look at the next verse. Here's the problem. Those that did not belong to the church might have been as industrious. And in fact, we're surrounded every day by very wicked people who've made a lot of money, are we not? It isn't like the fact that you're wicked means you won't make any money. There are a lot of very wicked, very wealthy people. Go talk to the Mexican drug cartel people or the you know, <laughs> Jew or, uh, Russian mobsters. They seem to be doing pretty well. And they don't seem to be very righteous. And they seem to be kind of happy, yeah, at least from a distance. Don't get too close. But the problem is, those that did not belong to the church did indulge in sorceries and idolatry and idleness and badness and envying and strife. What's the problem? Unrighteousness. And what's that getting in the way of? Pride. But they're getting rich. How can you be out doing all these things and have some people in there getting rich? Others are richer. 
Others are richer, meaning who? Who's getting rich and who's getting poor? Why? Why are the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer in this setting? Ron? The rules. No, the integrity. Yes. Play by the rules. But I don't want to play by the rules. I'm rich and I want to set up, and again, we're going to see them set up kind of judges and everything where they're going to treat people differently. Which means some people are going to get rich in a wicked system. Who gets rich? Those who are already rich. Yes. And, and, they're, and how do they stay rich? By paying off the judges. Yeah. So now you start to get <laughs> graph and you get uh, rules don't apply to everybody. In, a, in this kind of society that we're talking about, what's going to happen is a few people are going to get rich and a lot of people are going to get poor. Yeah. yeah. So, so again, if you're going to any like third world country, it isn't like you could walk into uh, Venezuela's falling apart. Yeah. Are there are any rich people in Venezuela? Oh yeah. Are there poor people in Venezuela? Most of them. <laughs> so what happens without the things that we just talked about? The freedom, the specialization, that kind of thing. Some people will get rich, and a lot of people are going to get poor. And that envying and strife and stuff like that and the wickedness and the idolatry means some people are going to get raised above each other. And that gap grows. As opposed to the prosperous nations where the, the righteousness generally of the population means it's a rising tide that lifts all the ships. Everybody gets wealthier together. And so in large, a, a, a more righteous nation as a whole will rise will have more wealth than a nation where there's wickedness going on. Does that make sense? And the sad part is, we look at our country right now, and we see this happening. Sure. Uh, we start seeing, are there special rules? Are there things that some people get that not everybody gets? Or, or, yeah. Okay. That's why, we're, that's why we do elections, hopefully to root some of that out. Oh. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of freedom. They're, they're giving away a lot of freedom for some of the things that, that they're getting. That, that's the problem. With a fear toward, but if we don't do that, then there are going to be a lot of poor. Now, again, doesn't this sound a little bit like the, the uh, war in heaven? You know, their freedom means that their freedom people may choose poorly. But overall, everybody's going to be enwelthened. They're going to be endowed. They're going to be exalted. Okay, Marlo? It appears to me that the difference between the uh, wealthiness, I can use that word, of the Nephites versus the unrighteous people who are led to live along the church, is that the Nephites began to realize that Loving one another and taking care of one another, sharing substance was part of that loving each other. Yeah. One yeah. people who did not belong to the church, they were loving things. 
Yeah, that's a good point. They did not love one another. They weren't willing to have a system where they shared their wealth with other people. Their idea was to conglomerate it to get their own gain, and we know where that started. Yeah, and again, the fascinating thing is is that this sense of if we're going to draw closer together as a community and we take care of each other, that actually we end up raising the prosperity of everybody inside that community where when we're doing envy and strife and wickedness, we're afraid that if I give you something, I'll take away from me. There's not an abundance. There's just a disparity. And, and if somebody else has something, then I'll have less of that. Kind i, I got to get more marbles. Yeah, and, and so that's when we're in that setting and somebody, for instance, in a ward gets doing really well or they're doing or their talents are showing and, and they're doing great, we somehow think it's taken away from us somehow because somebody else is doing better. And we get envy of their, of their acclamation or the, the things that they're doing. Okay, so the principle then that rolls out of this is the working for the establishment of Zion. And it seems like we've all kind of covenanted to, to do that, haven't we? Don't we on a regular basis kind of make a covenant to seek for the establishment of Zion? Isn't our goal? Mm-hmm. Okay. The establishment of one heart and one purpose and one mind. And it's also economic, spiritual, and emotional oneness. So in a sense, we're also seeking for the economic, ultimately, oneness that comes with the right principles. That we're going to reach out and try and educate and help and teach people to be able to raise their own circumstance. Okay? All right. That said then, so we are, ultimately we are under covenant to help in this creation across the board. Now, with that said, <coughs> again, Mormon's going to put two couple of chapters together here, and I start and I was surprised when I I saw them as two separate issues, and the more I started <laughs> taking a look at it, the more I realized it was all the same issue. Now, there's a The next section here, Alma 3, let's go over to Alma 3 for a sec. Let's let's back up just a second and remind ourselves what's happening right here. We get um, the... uh, under uh, uh, Amalekai, I never know whether it's Amalekites or the Malicites or call them the Amalekites. Amlocytes, Amlocytes, okay. We'll call them the Amlocytes, okay? Um, they are, they are uh, Nahors. They are living under the, this, this idea of kingcraft. We talked about last week where it wasn't so much priestcraft as much as it was kingcraft. They wanted to become kings. Why would they want to become kings? So we can become wealthy. And we get to control the wealth. And really what that's going to mean is, I'm a king, I get to be wealthy, and you don't. So you see this disparity built in already to their philosophy. Okay. Now, we find out that they're going to, they, they try and get a vote. 
uh, to take over the government. The, they are voted down. Therefore, they go to war against the Nephites to try and enforce it by sword. That we should be in charge. We should be wealthier than you. We're going to try and enforce that. Now, I'm going to come back here to their... Um, We're we'll talking a second about the fact that they are that they're going to mark themselves so that they can be like the Lamanites. That's going to be our final point today. But before I get there, I want to I want to get to this point. Okay, this has caused some concern sometimes with people looking at the Book of Mormon and and our belief in general. Fourteen. Thus the word of God is fulfilled that these words which He said unto Nephi. Behold, the Lamanites have I cursed. I will set a mark on them that they and their seeds may be separated from thee forever. Um, and that separation is the opposite of what? At one month. Notice, when the more righteous we are, we are at one. We pull together. The more unrighteous we are, we are separated. Either we will, we will be cast out or we will separate ourselves, we will pull back, there will be more distance. If you always listen to the words, I want to get closer to the Spirit, I feel the Spirit is far away from me. The, the, it, it's really kind of a true principle as far as that goes. Okay? Now, I will set a mark on the Lamanites. What was the mark? First of all, let me do it this way. If I'm God, and I'm going to curse the Lamanites, how do I curse them? How would I curse anybody? Because sometimes he talks about you will be cursed if you don't do this and this and this. How do, how do I curse you? How does a curse look? God curses people sometimes. We find it in the scriptures. How am I going to curse you? Well, sometimes it's a coloring of their skin like it was with the Lamanites. And then it was um, confounding their language with the Jaredites before the Jaredites left at the Tower of Babel. So they're separated from each other in some form. But it says a mark on their foreheads. Yeah. Okay, hold on here. Okay, we're going to hear. I've got the second Nephi, chapter 5. When, when uh, Laman and Lemuel and the brothers aren't gonna, are going to separate themselves from Nephi, he had caused the cursing to come upon them, a sore cursing because of their iniquity. And they hardened their hearts unto him, and they had become like flint. Therefore, as they were white and exceeding fair and delightsome, they might not be enticing unto the people of the Lord God, it caused the skin of blackness to come upon them. Okay. Now, that's led to some people looking at the Book of Mormon and say, well, see, it seems to be kind of racist. Doesn't it? Okay? So, let, let me back up a little bit. If I'm God and you're not keeping the commandments, how do I curse you? Because we find it's not just the Lamanites. He's cursed uh, the uh, Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, there's, a, there's a history of God cursing people that won't keep the commandments. 
How does he curse people? Ah, how would that curse them? If you're going to take away the priesthood and the authority. His presence, meaning his spirit. Okay, does that make sense? Um, when, when somebody's given the priesthood and they begin to exercise unrighteous dominion with that priesthood, section 121 tells us, Amen to the priesthood of that man. What's happened? That, and they're going to, if you eat the fruit, you will be cursed. And meaning what? You will die. You will be separated. You're going to be separated from his presence. So, again, what does a cursing, if God's going to curse you, does it mean I'm going to curse you not to be prosperous? It's like I'm going to burn down your business every time you try and do it. I'm going to give you cancer. I'm going to make sure you don't get wealthy. What is a cursing? It's a separation from God. So when somebody is cursed, we're going to find number one, when somebody is cursed, that means that they are, that the Spirit withdraws from them. The Spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man. The Spirit pulls back. They are without the Spirit. So number one, when somebody's cursed, the Spirit is withdrawn. And number two, how, does that cur- how did that cursing happen? It was their own dang fault. It was our own iniquities that caused the cursing. So in verse 24, it yeah. says, And because of their cursing, they did become idle people full of mischief, but technically it's probably because they were separated from God. Yes. So what happens, what happens when you pull the Spirit back from, from somebody? So they're, so they're completely hardened to the Spirit. What happens to them? Oh, it does become darkened. Now you're getting closer. You ever been? Have you ever been around somebody who had been in the church and doing well, and then they're really struggling, and then they're out of the church, and then they hate the church? What ha- What do we say kind of commonly about them? They they appear Dark. darker. The sparkle is actually the gone. sparkle goes. Yeah, there's, there's not as much light. They are darker. So when I look at Verses in here that talk about a darker skin could be darker. How much of that is symbolic? I don't know. Because the more I read about the skin of darkness and stuff like that, the more confused I get. I don't have an answer. But they're also cursed with a smooth skin. Maybe. Well, I mean, it, they had no beard. You know, like, like, right. But, 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 this, but by the way, this leads then, though, to some of the statements that have been made that are not true. That suggests that the right, the more righteous we become, the lighter our skin, and the more wicked we become, the darker our skin. So that's with all of the Mormon myths that kind of grew up around uh, the Negroes and you know and being on fence sitters and stuff like that, and they were less righteous. It, those were myths. It's not true, and the church is saying it's not true. But sometimes those beliefs started sneaking in that just said if the more righteous we become, the lighter we become. Well, listen to the language. As we are less cursed, that there is a, 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 a lightness. It's, it's more to the light we go, or more. To as the we, be, we we have become more light, yes. That there's a much more of a symbolic thing. In the very sense, it says, "When I curse those, 
uh, they become loathsome. Why? Because they're dark and we don't like dark people? No. They're loathsome in that. No, because they're cursing that was upon them. They became an idle people full of mischief and subtlety and and. Now, I need, there's another phrase here that just jumped out at me. And it's one of those things that you may not have ever looked at. I certainly hadn't. But look at this last line in verse 24. That gives you some idea of who these people became. They are going to hunt beasts of what? Okay, now stop. If I'm going to go deer hunting. And I'm going to go hunt deer or rabbit. Because I, I want meat. And I like venison. I'm going to go deer hunting. Am I hunting beasts of prey? Nope. What's a beast of prey? Lion. I mean, Lion. Enos is hunting beasts in the, in the thing he's getting meat. Laman and uh, Nephi with his bow is hunting beasts so their family can eat. This is hunting beasts of prey. What is a beast of prey? Animals that eat other animals. Oh! Now, if this takes place in Mesoamerica... The number one beast of prey down, down in that area, like in the Yucatan and, and southern Mexico, jaguar. is the jaguar. Oh my, yeah. But it said they did seek in the wilderness for beasts of prey, meaning they were outside a lot. Yes. Well, you think they're tanner? Yeah. Maybe they are. But okay. the others would be outside. Too. Okay, but if I but again now if I'm hunting beasts, why in the world rather than go find a nice deer, why would I be hunting beasts of prey? Because they're not happy inside, and they're trying to find that excitement. In There's life. an excitement there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else? Why else would they hunt beasts of prey? Yeah. Anybody ever, back in the day, did you ever watch, uh, what's the movie with Kevin Costner and the Buffalo, the Tonka? Dancing with Wolves. What, what would happen when they, when they kill the Buffalo? They, they, they cut open and they reach in, they grab the heart and eat it. Why? Because it gave them strength, right? I'm going to drink their blood. I'm going to eat their. In fact, we have several cases where the where the apostate Nephites are saying they're attacking the Nephites, and their goal is to kill the prophets and drink their blood. The 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 same thing was made by the covenant that these guys made in Nauvoo to kill Joseph Smith and drink his blood. Why are they that gross? Why are they doing that? Because they are gross, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. So part of it. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna attack them, but I'm gonna specifically hunt these guys because I think there is kind of a macho. I'm gonna control. I'm gonna win. It's a so, so in my mind when I pull back from this, what I really think it is, it it, it speaks symbolically to becoming a competitive people. It's about winning. It's about, I'm going to prove my manhood by I'm going to attack the beasts of prey that could be attacking me. Could it also be defying God 
in the covenant animals that they sacrificed were more like, you know, lambs and, you know, with the law of Moses and stuff like that. Oh, I thought they that. weren't They weren't sacrificing animals that were animals, prey animals. Yeah, you don't sacrifice jaguars on the altar, mm -mm. do you? Mm -mm. You just don't do that. You're going to sacrifice a lamb that is much more meat. Mm -hmm. They are specifically going after hunters. Mm -hmm. They are hunting hunters. Mm -hmm. They are aggressively attacked. That's a competitive, I'm going to win. Now, I do think there is. there may be some influence of the surrounding Mayan culture affecting here. Mm -hmm. Because they, the, uh, in uh, Mayan society, you wanted to become like a jaguar. If you are king, you want to look like a jaguar. That's why they would, when, when children were born, they'd place boards on their foreheads so that the foreheads would grow with a slant. They would, they would file down the, the teeth here, pull the eyes back so that they start to look like a jaguar. You're trying to look like God. If, ja if the jaguar is the God, you want to look like him. And I think it's the influence of the Nephites also saying, we want to become like God. And they're saying, well, we are trying to become like God. I look like a jaguar. <laughs> well, that's nice. And if I'm going to conquer the gods, I will conquer the, the hunters. I will become like them because I will drink their blood and therefore I will take on their strength. Okay. I think without spirit, which is what we're talking about right now, we're talking about the influence of Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dark and yes, <coughs> and competitive. Right. And competitive. That's what I'm saying to you. That's why these two verses, these two chapters, I think, are close to each other. <coughs> On one side, we have a group of people that are trying to pull together as one and become atoned at one, become like each other and lift everyone. And this other one is a much more competitive, attacking, gotta win by putting you down. Who's kind of thing? It's it's Zion versus competition. Good point. So why would people like this, <coughs> why would that be idleness? Great point. They're not producing goods for society. They're producing whatever goods. Hunting gave themselves. Now, if you're not hunting, what are you doing? Now, but if you're righteous and you're not idle, what are you doing? Farming. Farming. Whoa. I got to, how many, it's amazing how many times I've talked to kids. It's like, well, what are you going to, you're in high school, what are you going to do? I don't know. Um, I mean, you could go to school. Do you want to become a doctor? No, that's like eight years. I don't want to do that. Why, that would be long and boring. That's going to take me too long to, you know, be, actually graduate from college and have to take math. And no, I would, I would, no, that's too hard. I don't want to be patient and sit through things. And I, well, you know, in eight years you're going to be eight years older, whether you decide to sit through school or not. You're going to be eight years older, and the question is whether you will be, you know, the assistant manager at McDonald's or whether you'll have a degree that you can make some good money on. Nah, it's just too hard. I don't want to do that. Well, um, the way the Lamanites lived was probably more risky as far as, I mean, you know, they would have to pack up and go somewhere else if, if they couldn't find prey where uh, 
you know, farming and stuff yeah. is a little bit more reliable and, sure. you know, it can have its... Well, our, our history says, did the Lamanites build cities? No, the, the, the Lamanites inhabited cities that other people had built. And they're they're going to they're gonna trade off of the industry of others. So there is an idleness there. There really is. But the idleness says, I don't want to take time to grow and plant and take time and nurture. I just want what I want now. It's a competitive, and I will take it from you. I think of the word reckless. Reckless behavior. Yeah. You see a lot of um, people these days that just want to play and take drugs and get high and then race cars and then do nothing. Not it's race a, it's, about, it's about adrenaline. Life in the fast lane, adrenaline. Yeah. So, so using your time and resources to be productive for society or for your family or, or yeah. something of value as opposed to just... And then move on to the very next thing. Yeah, and so you get kind of those that are in that mode, kind of the adrenaline junkies, and it's just kind of... They never settle in to do one thing long enough so that it, it takes time to, to build a business or it takes time to grow a family. It takes time to build righteousness inside you and that means having to develop patience. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, because I feel an emptiness inside so I'm trying to duplicate that joy with thrill and, and there's the difference. Okay. Can you imagine the Lamanites taking selfies of hunting prey, which is exciting? Oh, absolutely. Versus taking selfies of plowing some ground. Yeah. Which one's selfie? It's a good image. It's a good image. Yeah. I beat this thing. See, I think that's closer to the beasts of prey thing. Yeah. That's why I think this goes to our nature of saying, are we competitive in nature? Well, in fact, let me... Did you call it hunting for sport? Yeah, kind of is. Which I completely disagree yeah, with. In 1989, uh, President Benson, I think, had been reading C.S. Lewis. In fact, I can show you the I can show you the the uh, chapters in Mere Christianity that I think uh, President Benson chose got his inspiration from in the landmark talk that he gave in 1989 on pride. And part of this, so so part of what he says is this: the central the central feature of pride is enmity, enmity towards God and enmity towards our fellow men. Enmity means Hatred towards, hostility to, or a state of opposition. It is the power by which Satan wishes to reign over us. Pride is essentially competitive in nature. 
And again, C.S. Lewis said this as well, but he said, pride doesn't want so much of one thing. Pride wants more of this than somebody else has. I just want to know that I have more than you do. That's pride. Pride is essentially competitive in nature. We pit our will against God's. When we direct our pride toward God, it is in the spirit of my will and not thine be done. We are hunting beasts of prey. We are competitive and trying to win rather than raise everybody together. Our will in competition to God's will allows desires, appetites, and passions to go unbridled. I think that's that's what we're talking about. And it is antithetical to a Zion society where we're trying to get to, where we raise everybody together. Okay? All right. So with that in mind, last point here. Um, let's go back to Alma 3. Now I think it is, it is interesting that the Amalekites, when they decide we're, we're not, we can't win the election, we still want to be kings, so we're going to use the Lamanites as muscle, we're going to combine with them, and now we're going to work together, us and the Lamanites. Now we're going to attack the Nephites. <coughs> the Amalekites were distinguished from the Nephites, verse 4, for they had marked themselves with red in their foreheads after the manner of the Lamanites. We don't know what the Lamanites had on their forehead, but they had something. That's why I was, I was using this. It's an Olmec uh, uh, mask there, and and they've got they've got things across their forehead, and and as I look through all the Mayan and Olmec stuff, that seems to be really consistent. There would be something up here uh, that would that would mark them as who they are, their bravery and all of that. The Amalekites were distinguished from the Lamanites. They marked themselves with red in their forehead. Nevertheless, they had not shorn their heads like unto the Lamanites. Now, so, so basically what they're saying is, is that as the Amalekites were uniting with the Lamanites, they wanted to become more like them. Now, let me ask. When, when you have people that, that, that make no mistake, uh, our LDS culture well-lived is at times going to be at odds with the general culture around us. It just is. And, and everything for the prophets are saying this will become more, those boundaries between our culture and what we do and what we believe will become more and more distinguished from those around us. Now, if it's youth, if it's adults, whoever, if you're kind of uncomfortable with, with not wanting to look so weird... What can you do to unite yourself with the, with the outside culture? How, how can you mark yourself so that you look more like them? Tattoos are nice. Although I, I saw one online the other day, a tattoo of the angel Moroni. I thought that was a nice blending. You could wear your pants around your knees. Yeah. Yes. But do the baggy pants thing. Okay. 
you, you start to, but what you're saying is we're going to try and dress like them and look like them. How do we, so, okay, so how, and why are we doing this? Why are we marking ourselves to be like them? Because we have to set ourselves apart. Uh, I'm all, it always makes me laugh, and it happens every year. You know, when, when we go up for Ed Week in August, and, and I look around at some of the youth running around, like in Utah County, that is something like 80% LDS. And if I'm an LDS kid in... Utah County, and I, I know I'm being real prejudicial, but after having living there, I can, I can, yes. And I want to prove to my parents and people in church that I ain't going on a mission. I, I think the church is stupid, and I want to be more like the kids at school. What can? What do I need to do? Yeah, I need to have t-shirts. What else? Nose rings. Nose rings are nice, aren't they? See. I'm going on a mission. See? <laughs> and hairstyle. See the mohawk? I ain't planning on the mission. Now, I'm, I just need to let you know that I'm not Peter Priesthood. And I have to, and I can't just like, I have to do it in an outwardly sort of way that tells the world what I, where I'm going, what I believe. I'm smoking, see? I'm not one of them. I actually saw that after I dropped my son off at the training, missionary training center. I went to the mall just to walk around and do whatever. Oh, yeah. The contrast was incredibly stark. And I've lived in the city a long time, and I see this stuff all the time, but it was incredibly it's, it's starker. Where, where you have a predominant mm -hmm. LDS culture, it's there is a pressure huge. on kids that don't want to be seen as part of the LDS culture mm -hmm. to distinguish themselves, to mark themselves as different wow. from the kids inside the culture. And I've got to and I've got to prove whether I'm a seminary going kid or whether I'm not. It's huge. But it's a but you understand that's a uniform. It right. is a uniform. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it is. And you want see them all, all rebelling together. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Sure. So, but but here's our challenge now, and, and I think it happens here, and I think it'd be more of a challenge there. And sometimes it's these kids and even adults and converts coming in who, are, who have been so a part of that um, that uh, culture and they're making the transition into the church or we've got kids in the church that are going through a period of rebellion that want to somehow mark themselves as part of the outside culture are... are um, our, our initial tendency is to say, then we'll separate them out. Then we're going to say, well, you're just rebelling. You're, you're out of control. You're at a very moment when we're trying to at one, even the struggling. <laughs> Which means that we have to look inside ourselves that when we watch people marking themselves as part of the culture, that we don't isolate them, 
and reject them immediately. Does that make sense? We have to pull them in. We have to not separate them out, and that, that may be a little bit tougher. I think it's a, it's a concern that I have. Because kids are going to mark themselves as separate, but we can't. But we need to love them even more and not isolate, not push them away. And accept them. And accept them. Yeah. What they have or the dress that they're in. Even, at, even if they're marking. Absolutely. And other people also, because I think we have people that come to church that are not into the mold, the Mormon mold. Yes. That don't dress, that might come in pants. We can still accept them. Or a tank top. Yes. You know, where you go, oh, I don't know about that. As opposed to saying, come on in and we love you anyway because I can see where you are. Yeah. And that, that is the, and so that's why I think this runs up against what we're talking about. This idea of at one the, the the drawing close together means that we're also going to draw into our tent people that still feel like they need to mark like the outside culture and we need to give them space to work through that. And just love them and care about them, even if they always choose to do that, do that to a certain degree. I think then that there is a Mormon culture that that is, this is not the gospel that we come and address. It isn't the gospel. It is the gospel that we love each other. Yes, right, right. But sometimes our cult, we, we begin to blur the gospel with the culture. The culture. Yeah. You didn't bring Jello, really? <laughs> yeah, next week. Bring the Jello next week. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. We. Need, Jimmy's right. So we need to be able to accept them for who they are and where they are, and and pull them in rather than not separate them out. Okay. All right. Any, any more comments on this? This makes sense. Yeah. Okay, which one? Oh, the, the, about the, the dark skin? No, 23. Verse 23. Now, is it two? Second new Do you know part... What I found on this. She's talking about, I think she's talking about second by the you were over there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll do this. Number three, over here. Cursed shall be the seed of him that mixes with their seed. They shall be cursed even with the same cursing. Uh, and the Lord spake it, and it was done. Um, here, here's where I think that, that happens. Um, if, if, I'm, if my iniquity, my breaking the commandments, means that I am cursed by the Spirit pulling away from me, what am I going to teach my kids? What do I end up teaching my seed? Dark side. Yeah, I'm, it's kind of the dark side. <laughs> In other words, I don't teach them about the spirit. I don't teach them about the atonement. So I think the cursing is, is passed along. We, where we talk about the, sometimes that cursing goes for like four generations or something. Each generation. Think about when somebody struggles in the gospel and what they send that message they send to their kids. 
I think that's how I think it's more of a that cursing is passed along because of the lack of teaching. I don't think it that's why that's when I looked at this and we try and mix this somehow with the skin color and all that kind of thing. I just got more confused. I, I, I know less about it right now than I did last week. But some of this when I if I understand that cursing is a voluntary spiritual withdrawal, it makes a lot of sense to me, even what happens with our subsequent generations. So yeah. Um, we had a couple of sisters in our ward years ago that um, their mother had something happen with a business transaction with a member of the church yeah, and became right. very bitter and left the church. Yeah, And the daughters and their families both left the church. Right. And you Even can see how the cursing kind of goes down the, down the mm -hmm. road. They were very active in our ward. But, okay. Yeah. All right. Is that plenty for today? Yes. This has been... <laughs> been an interesting semester uh, for me on this just because of the uh, your preparation has allowed for kind of a little greater depth that we've been able to take a look at some of these items and I, I appreciate your willingness and openness to kind of take a look at these things in a, in a much greater detail than sometimes we just don't have the time or the luxury to be able to do that in gospel doctrine so, so thank you for that um, I bear you my testimony that uh, it's true. The, these are inspired words. They came through the, they came through the heart of a prophet. Uh, and if we look at it, this kind of lays out what we need to do in our life on a regular basis. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the many blessings that we have been given. We are especially grateful, Father, for this opportunity that we have to and fill up the spirit and learn more of thee. We're grateful for Brother Hinckley for his willingness to sacrifice of his time and talent to bring these scriptures to life for us. Heavenly Father, please bless us as we go forward in our week that we might be mindful of the needs of others, that we might be prepared and ready for missionary moments that we might be loving and accepting of all of those who are around us. And these things we pray, Father, in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.